You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1946th edition of St. Eversby News Talk for the 14th of September 2023. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts, the producer is Ruth Hill and your readers are David Palmer and Chris Payne. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Rising demand puts pressure on food bank as donations fall. Nightweight RAAC concrete in the headlines confirmed at some schools and at West Suffolk Hospital. Controversial animal feed mill granted go-ahead. And Oscar-winning dame Judy Dench to feature in Theatre Royal Panto. Iberia St Edmunds Food Bank charity is concerned for its future as demand for its services has drastically increased while donations have sharply dropped. This summer, Gatehouse, based in Dettigen Way, has seen queues of around 25 to 30 people outside its premises every day as the cost of living crisis plunges more people into need. CEO Amanda Bloomfield said supermarket donations were down by about 45%, while the demand had more than doubled. She added, demand is growing for all our services, both the food bank and the home store, and people do queue every day that we are open. We're struggling at the moment because donations are down, as the cost of living crisis affects those who donate, as well as those who need the service. So it's sort of a pinch effect. Going into the winter and Christmas, we're a little bit concerned about whether we'll be able to meet the need, but we are trying our best to carry on all the services that we're doing at the moment. And she warned that if donations dried up completely, the food bank would close in two weeks. Food and stock in the home store is being sought as quickly as it's been taken in. Items that are particularly needed include bedroom furniture, household appliances like fridges and washing machines, and clothes, especially children's coats. Summer is always a difficult time for people. It's one of our peak times along with Christmas and winter. But this year we are more this year there are more people struggling than ever before, said Amanda. According to Amanda, the charity sees about 400 people using the service every week, including more new faces. Gatehouse said it was now hoping school and church harvest donations would see it through winter. However, Amanda does anticipate that demand during autumn and winter will continue to be high. We're expecting the need for food parcels to continue as we head into autumn and winter, she said. People will be concerned about their heating and electric bills again, and those pressures will be building on them. We hope to get the donations in, but there is a concern that we won't be able to meet the need if the donations continue to drop, as they have been. If we didn't have any more donations, we could probably only run the food bank for another two weeks, so it's a difficult situation that we're in at the moment, 
If things do not improve, Amanda said she would need to relook at the charity and focus in on particular resources. It may even need to implement further restrictions to ensure that those who are most in need receive the help. So lightweight RAAC concrete in the headlines confirmed at some schools and, and also at the West Suffolk Hospital. A secondary school has said areas of its site affected by RAAC concrete have undergone remedial works and are safe to use. Thurston Community College near Berries and Edmonds has explained the situation regarding reinforced autoclaved aerated contract, RAAC, at the school after it was included in the government's list of settings with confirmed RAAC. A spokesman for Thurston Community College said it was identified in 2018 that Thurston Community College had two areas that were constructed using RAAC. At that time, measures were taken to strengthen the roof. Following a survey at the beginning of this year, it was recommended that further remedial works be undertaken. The two areas in question were immediately closed and work has been undertaken to further strengthen the roof and mitigate the issues. The work was completed and signed off as being safe for us to use at the end of the summer holidays. Our newly refurbished English block is now being enjoyed by our students. We are grateful to both Suffolk County Council and the uh, DIE, DFE sorry, for working with us to quickly find a solution and support the project. We are continuing to work with the DFE, the Department for Education, on our school rebuild, which is currently in the feasibility phase. Meanwhile, the start of term has been disrupted at Stowe Upland High School near Stowe Market after RAAC was confirmed there this week. A spokesperson for the John Milton Academy Trust, which the school is part of, said, A structural engineer confirmed RAAC concrete in several sections of the buildings at Stow Upland High School on Tuesday morning. Inevitably, this has reduced the number of classrooms available for learning. The safety of our pupil, pupils is our number one priority. The areas in question have been sectioned off, allowing children to move safely through the school building throughout the day. Parents and carers have been informed and staff are working to utilise and repurpose all existing spaces for classroom use. We are in close contact with the Department for Education and will update parents and carers with any further developments. Then moving on to the West Suffolk Hospital. Bosses at a hospital trust built with controversial crumbling concrete that has dominated national headlines have released a statement. West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds contains significant RAAC, which is the same material that has forced the closures of schools across the country. In a statement this week, Dr Ewan Cameron, CEO of West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, said they had been carried out uh, been carrying out an extensive and robust estates maintenance programme after previously revealing they were spending upwards of sixty-four million pounds to deal with structural problems. The programme includes the installation of end bearing extensions and fail safe supports to mitigate the risk of a falling, a failing roof RAAC plank, and zinc anodes have been inserted into RAAC walls to prevent further deterioration. There are about 10,000 RAAC planks in the roof of the main building in Hardwick Lane, 
and about 5,000 in its walls. According to the statement, 82% of the roof planks have end-bearing extensions or fail-safe support in place, and 96% of the walls have been treated. Dr Cameron said, The completions of these works will ensure that the West Suffolk Hospital site remains a safe building for you, our staff and our visitors until we move into the new hospital by 2030. In addition to these estates works, we also carried out a rolling programme of continuous monitoring and assessing, including the use of radar equipment and other industry-approved tests and increased surveillance on the site until we are ready to move into our new hospital. Planning permission for a controversial animal feed mill on the edge of Barry St Edmunds has been approved despite a recommendation for refusal. The application by AB Agri Limited and British Sugar PLC is for a major development of an animal feed mill, offices and silos to the east of the A143 Compiègne Way, northeast of the town centre. Last month, councillors were minded to approve the planning application despite the officer's recommendation for refusal. On Wednesday, the application, which includes a 50-metre-tall feed mill, was approved unanimously by councillors following a risk assessment report. Councillor Ian Holder of Barrow Ward said, If you don't provide facilities for those businesses to bloom, they'll go elsewhere. We have to know what East Anglia is about, and this is a very important part of the economy. Councillor Holder quoted James Carville, a former political strategist for Bill Clinton, saying it's the economy stupid. The refusal had been proposed by the officers due to the building scale, which they felt would cause significant and permanent harm to the landscape, as well as a negative impact on tourism. Councillor Sarah Broughton, who spoke as a member of the public and whose husband farms the adjoining field, also suggested the economic benefits of the mill were marginal. The applicants have promised the creation of some 70 highly skilled jobs and a total investment of around £75 million to the local economy. Councillor Holder continued, The effect on tourism is an assertion based on nothing and it's not helpful to us. Councillor John London of Exling Ward added the alternatives to this project were a smaller, less efficient mill, or none at all. Following last month's planning committee decision by Dino Kirkapoulis, sorry I can't pronounce it very well, but never mind, managing director of AB Agri UK Mono said they were delighted with the outcome. This new mill will build on our existing business in the area and provide more employment opportunities for the community as well as supporting the region's farm businesses with affordable feed produced locally, he said. Oscar-winning Dame Judi Dench to feature in Theatre Royal Panto Dame Judi Dench has been announced as part of the cast for a Christmas panto at one of Suffolk's most loved theatres this year. The Oscar-winning actress will be the voice of the Magic Mirror in the Theatre Royal Snow White show this year. Dame Judi Dench said, It's my idea of heaven, playing a part in a pantomime and never having, never having to leave home. I'm thrilled to be making my pantomime debut in Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds Snow White. Who knows, next year they might make me a dame. <laughs> <laughs> 
<clears throat> Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds is absolutely beautiful, and as their life patron, I'm so delighted to support the theatre in this way. In May 2022, Dame Judi Dench sold out the Theatre Royal's auditorium as she openly talked about her life with her daughter, Finty Williams. The Oscar winner is delighted to voice her part in Snow White in support of the theatre. Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds is absolutely beautiful, and as their life patron, I am so delighted to support the theatre in this way, said Dame Judi Dench. Audiences will be heading to Berryland to join Snow White as she inherits the throne upon the death of her father. However, her wicked stepmother, Lady Lucretia, declares that Snow White is too young to lead and insists on serving as queen until her stepdaughter turns 21. But when the mirror warns Lucretia that Snow White is a threat to her plans to rule, she attempts to kill the young princess. Left in Bradfield Woods, Snow will meet a troop of delinquent scouts who have their own vendetta against Lucretia and are hell-bent on reaping revenge. The show will run from November 24th until January the 14th, with tickets on sale at the box office. Now we'll have some other news. Right. Long-awaited plans for a complete relief road as part of Bury St Edmunds' development of nearly 500 homes have been drafted after previous proposals were branded an over-engineered cul-de-sac. Pigeon Investment Management Limited, on behalf of Pigeon Berry West Limited, has submitted a hybrid planning application for land off Newmarket Road. The scheme includes the construction of a full relief road, including new junction works with Newmarket Road, Wesley Road and Hill Road, Wesley. Drainage basins next to the relief road, as well as pedestrian and cycle connections from the relief road onto Newmarket Road. Outline permission is also sought for the construction of up to 485 homes, including open space, landscaping and infrastructure. In July 2019, Pigeon drafted plans for the same number of homes. However, the scheme proved controversial, as it included just part of a relief road due to ownership of the land. Delivering part of the road did not provide traffic relief for Wesley and was a fundamental flaw in the delivery of the site, according to planning policy comments at the time. It said, at best, what is proposed appears to be an over-engineered cul-de-sac. The new application to West Suffolk Council features complete relief road from Newmarket Road to Wesley Road. A planning heritage, design and access statement prepare, prepared by Turley said vehicle access to the site would be created by a roundabout in Newmarket Road to the north and another in Wesley Road to the south. A road via a priority junction onto Hill Road would also be provided. The relief road includes a footway to one carriageway edge and a segregated footway and cycleway to the other edge. These will connect to the existing footways along Newmarket Road at the northern end of the site. The scheme contains associated junctions, which, if required, will, divide traffic, will divert traffic away from Wesley and provide a new route to Junction 42 of the A14 and Town Centre. A substantial green buffer would be created along the western edge of the site. The planning document said that a key aim of the development was to maintain a strategic gap 
between Bury St Edmunds and Wesley. This has been achieved by using the proposed relief road as the natural development boundary, it said. The area will be retained as accessible open space that will be planted to emphasise the break between the two settlements, whilst creating attractive pedestrian and cycle connections and accessible open space for all to enjoy. Up to 146 homes would be affordable. A great-grandmother who passed her GCSE English language exam aged 74 has said you're never too old to learn new things. Anne Blowers of Nacton near Ipswich worked in the family business, a lorry park restaurant bar, before it was sold in 2016 and she retired in 2018. The widow said she decided to return to work after spending time at home alone through lockdowns. She got a job as a learning support practitioner at Suffolk New College in Ipswich and decided to refresh her qualifications, having sat her O-levels in 1965. There's no record of them, but teaching methods and the curriculum have changed so much that if I'm supporting in the classroom, I need to have those skills, she said. She has now achieved a grade 8 in her English language GCSE. I absolutely loved it because I'm a creative person, said Mrs Blowers, who has five children, four grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. I love the creativity, love being able to express yourself, and I love getting that out to the students I support too. She said that alongside work at the Laurie Park restaurant, she had worked in education on and off since I was 18, including for 25 years as a lab technician. After being locked down and in the house on my own, I really needed to get back to work, said Mrs Blowers, who was widowed in 2014. She said she had been one final project away from achieving a master's degree in art and design, but life got in the way when they opened the family business and she just pitched in to help. Mrs Blowers is hoping to go back to this and complete her master's. When asked what advice she would give to prospective mature students, she said go for it. The courses are really tailored to help older people as well. I was the oldest person in the college to get my English, but certainly not the oldest one in the country, I understand. Every day's a school day, and we're always learning. She joked that one of her go-to phrases in her role supporting young students at the college was, do you want to still be doing it when you're my age? A football-mad teenager who suffered a catastrophic stroke after falling ill during a match has made a miraculous return to the pitch just five months later. Austin Dale, aged 13, was playing in goal for Thetford Bulldogs Football Club in May this year when he was taken off at half-time. He collapsed later at home and after being rushed to hospital, it was discovered he'd suffered a stroke due to a narrow blood vessel in his brain. Austin was originally paralysed on his right side and left with speech difficulties, but things began to improve after a few days in hospital. He was discharged after two weeks and now his mum, Mari Dale, aged 47, says Austin has regained full mobility and apart from slight memory loss is now fully recovered. He played his first game back for Thetford Town under 14s against Munford on Sunday. Mari from Thetford said, for him it wasn't a big deal, but for us as parents it was pretty emotional. We were worrying at the start, but once we saw him playing the nerves disappeared. It was amazing to see him between the posts again. 
Mari says when Austin became ill, she originally thought it was a concussion. She drove him home, but his condition got worse and worse, until eventually he was forced. Un, eventually, he was forced. To, we were forced to take him to Adambrook's Hospital in Cambridge. Tess revealed Austin, who is a Norwich City fan, had suffered a stroke and Mari and Austin's father, Paul Dale, aged 48, were told to expect the worst. Mari said it's so out of the blue for a 13-year-old who's so fit and active to suffer a stroke. It took a while for us to get our heads round it. He loves all sports, combat karate, running, biking. It was such a shock. We were told recovery could be a long process, either weeks or months. We really didn't know what to expect. To help raise Austin's spirits while Austin was in hospital, Mari asked for football clubs, big and small, to send him a card. The family was subsequently contacted by Norwich City goalkeeper Tim Cruel and Thetford-born Ian Henderson, who plays for Rochdale Football Club. Austin also had calls and messages from Canaries players, including Angus Gunn, Daniel Barden and O'Neill Herdenes. As word spread, other bigger clubs like Manchester United and Manchester City got involved as well. After leaving hospital and undergoing physical and speech therapy, Austin continued to improve and is now fully mobile again. Mari has given a big thanks to the football clubs and players who reached out to Austin to cheer him up in his time of need. She said, if it wasn't for the kindness of the football world, I don't think he'd be out there playing again. The cards and messages really lifted his spirits when he needed it most and gave him the motivation to get better. For that, I will be forever grateful. It was a swelteringly hot day, but that did not put off the many people who took part in the annual fundraising day for Suffolk's church buildings. Suffolk Church's Ride and Stride on Saturday, September 9th saw hundreds of walkers and cyclists and some runners set off around their chosen route from the 500 churches that were open for the day. Some participants may have done a shorter route than planned, but cool church interiors and the warm welcome from volunteers meant the day was sticky, but still enjoyable. Taking part in Ride and Stride were keen cyclists, those who only get on their bikes once a year, family groups, teenagers, and some elderly walkers and cyclists Many have been taking part since the early days of this event, over 40 years ago. One participant was East Anglian Daily Times editor Liz Nice's mother, Sally, aged 76, who managed to cycle to 15 churches in the Berry St Edmunds area, having not ridden her bike since the last cycle ride in 2022. It was boiling hot, Sally said, and I had to get off and walk a few times, but people were so welcoming at all of the churches I felt inspired to keep going. Churches she visited including, uh, included Webstead, Horringer, St Peter's and St Mary's in Berryston Edmunds and Timworth. <coughs> Excuse me. She was also particularly keen to cross off St Edmunds in Bury. I fell off near there last year, so it was particularly important to do St Edmunds this time, she said. I only got a slight graze on my leg this year after scraping it on the bike stand, so a much more successful effort in 2023. Sally has raised an amazing £552.70p this year with her ride, a new record for her, half of which will go towards the upkeep of Timworth Church, 
while the other half will support the work of the Suffolk Historic Churches Trust in maintaining our beloved local churches. Meanwhile, over a 100 classic and vintage cars took part in the day's sister event, Suffolk Churches Pedal and Drive. The car drivers were given a route from one of five historic country houses, visiting their assigned churches, and all ended up at a rally in Lebanon. Organised by Suffolk Historic Churches Trust, Suffolk Churches Ride and Stride and Pedal and Drive is an annual event that raises money for the repair and upkeep of Suffolk Churches. Now a national event, Ride and Stride, began in Suffolk as a sponsored bike ride. We must thank all the volunteers who make the day such a success and also those who sponsor the cyclist, walkers and drivers, said Simon Ronan, the chairman of Suffolk Churches Ride and Stride, who himself cycled around 31 churches in Woodbridge and Felixstowe with his family, making use of the ferry across the River Deven. Half the money people raise goes to the Trust to give us grants to repair church buildings, and half goes to their chosen church, he said. A photography competition for participants was also held, and winners will be announced on the Trust website. Sponsorship money should be passed on to Suffolk Historic Churches Trust as soon as possible, and the amount raised will be announced when it has been collated. The next Suffolk Churches Ride and Stride Pedal and Drive will be on Saturday, September the 14th, 2024. Next September the 17th, the Suffolk Historic Churches Trust will mark its 50th anniversary with a special service at St Edmundsbury Cathedral. A first-time Brandon author who has created a superhero for nature in his new book is spreading the word and his fundraising efforts to help his chosen animal, the humble hedgehog. Not only has David Doughty done book signings and readings with his new publication, Robohog, but also hosted a fundraising Songs from the Movies sing-along at the Church Institute in the town, raising money for SOS Hedgehog Rescue. Robohog tells the story of two children who find a hedgehog injured by a strimmer that they take to their granddad, who is a vet. With a hobby of making robots and due to the animal's injuries, the granddad makes a hedgehog some robotic legs and robotic eye that contains a microchip that gives him a window into why nature is in trouble and what he can do to help it. David, aged 55, who has lived in the town for the past three years, explained how the idea to write a story about a robotic hedgehog first came to him after he started working as a photographer for the RSPB some five years ago. They mentioned that hedgehogs could be extinct in England in ten years, he said. I was just shocked that we could let anything go extinct. I wanted to save one creature... I can't save them all, and I decided on hedgehogs. This led to him making a toy robotic hedgehog that he would have on his RSPB stand when he toured the UK to promote his work. It attracted so much interest, and it inspired him to not only create Robohog, but also to decide to donate a part of any profits from the book sales towards helping hedgehogs. The completion of the book was delayed, though, not just by the Covid pandemic, but also David's own successful battle with cancer. At the beginning of this year, added David, I thought, right, the one thing I want to sort out was getting this book done, so I've been working hard to get it to fruition. 
having been having been released a couple of weeks ago it has sold more than one hundred copies and led david to already make a hundred pounds donation to the suffolk hedgehog hospital in owsden david said there's about six hundred hedgehog rescues in the uk with these people setting up sheds in their gardens being fully committed all year round to helping hedgehogs Two special services at St Edmundsbury Cathedral in Bury St Edmunds are being held next month to pray for those in need. The first on Sunday October the 8th at 4.30pm will celebrate the ongoing work of Bury Drop-In amongst the homeless and vulnerably housed. The service led by the Dean of St Edmundsbury and the Chair of the Bury Drop-In Trustees will include prayers to remember the lives of those who have died in the past year from the Berry Drop-In community. Berry Drop-In is a Christian charity supported by churches across the town and numerous local businesses, volunteers and organisations, including West Suffolk Council and Berry Town Council. The Reverend Robert Green, Chair of Trustees, said it is really important to Berry Drop-In that we are part of a wider community's response to a deepening crisis of homelessness and housing. The service will include music, readings and prayer and is open to all. The second service on Sunday October the 15th at 10.30am will mark Prisons Week which encourages communities to pray for the needs of all those connected with prisons. These include prisoners and their families, victims of offenders, prison staff, contractors, chaplains and volunteers who work in an intense and often difficult atmosphere. Prisons Week has been running for almost 50 years. A number of serving prisoners from HMP Holsley Bay, Suffolk's open prison, will take part. The Right Reverend Martin Seeley, Bishop of St Edmundsbury and Ipswich, will lead the service, and the address will be given by the Anglican chaplain at HMP High Point, the Reverend Mark Osborne. In the cathedral centre after the service, there will be an opportunity to talk to prisoners and prison staff, and refreshments will be provided. The Reverend Canon Philip Banks, Canon Presentor at the Cathedral, said, We mark Prisons Week here at St Edmundsbury Cathedral each year to ensure that those working in, serving and engaging with prisons are not forgotten. An Afro-Caribbean grocery shop which aims to unite the community is gearing up to open on a Bury St Edmunds estate this weekend. Jessie's kitchen will open on the St Olaf's precinct on the Howard estate on Sunday, with a buffy for residents to sample some of the Afro-Caribbean food on offer. The shop, run by Sophia Jacobs, will feature fresh and chilled produce, as well as being a pick-up spot for cooked Afro-Caribbean takeaway dishes. Sophie said it will have all the Caribbean and Afro products, like fish, fresh vegetables and groceries, I'll also be cooking on a Friday and a Saturday to, for delivery through Just Eat. London-born Sophia moved to Bury about 11 years ago and ran Jessie's kitchen from her home. The business took a back seat while she raised her son Robert, but now she feels she's ready to once again give more time to the company. I'm looking forward to opening to opening day and I hope people and I hope people come. People have shown a lot of interest. She believes this type of grocery shop is needed in the town to serve both the Afro-Caribbean community and other communities. Those of us that are up here go to London for our shopping, 
But my main reason for setting the shop up is because I've always wanted our food to be mainstream, like Chinese or Indian. I think it's time, she added. It's not just for my community, community it's for every community. The grand opening will be from 1.30 to 5pm. I think that sounds exciting. Mm, <laughs> it certainly does. Well, uh, Lord Ivar's uh, chopper bike and a stuffed lion are among the more unusual items set to go under the hammer at Sorda's auction sale of Guinness Family Heirlooms, which is going to take place at Elverdon Hall on September the 14th. Oh, that's today. Uh, there are more conventional treasures to be found too. Here are some of the top items as highlighted by Edward Guinness, the current Earl of Ivar, um, and top auctioneer, auctioneer Luke MacDonald, who will be leading the sale. Lord Ivar's childhood chopper bike was actually his sister Emma's before coming into his possession, a 1970s classic which had a full life. Uh, a taxidermied six-year-old Botswanan, Botswanan male lion stood sentry at the Elverdon Estates office waiting room in the village until Lord Ivar had it removed. It wasn't necess necessarily <coughs> excuse me, uh, the most friendly welcome, he explains. For those who enjoy dressing up, ermine-lined velvet robes worn by the then Earl of Ivar at the coronation of King George in 1937 might be just the thing. However, they are surplus to requirements for the current Earl's duties. He was among the majority of the hereditary members who were removed from the House from the Lords by the House of Lords Act 1999. Now only sitting peers are invited to wear robes at the coronation, explains auctioneer Luke MacDonald. They are also incredibly fragile. A Guinness family sale wouldn't be complete without reference to the family's famous beverage. A series of artworks, including one with the slogan, Guinness is good for you, is featured in the sale. Depending on your lawn keeping skills, uh, the Guinness family croquet set could be for you. It has the worn and battered feel of a treasured set, which has seen plenty of action. One of the sale items attracting a lot of interest is a 1700 Kangxi ginger jar, according to Sorda's Director of Art and Estates, Luke MacDonald. Kang Shi was the second Qing emperor to rule over China proper, reigning from 1661 to 1722. A beautifully muted Ziegler Sultanabad patterned carpet, dated 1894 and bought from Harvey Nichols, is also one of the top sale items. Another much-prized item is an Irish-carved gilt-wood pier glass mirror from 1760, it's estimated to be worth around twenty to £30,000 and is described by Mr MacDonald as fabulous. It's very much of the era, he says. Just a lovely example, lovely curving. Items which bring back fond memories for Lord Ivar include a collection of Irish fireplace peat buckets. He admires the good Irish craftsmanship involved in their construction. Long after the print faded from the page, Lord Ivar recalls how the family's first fax machine sat on this small Regency Pembroke table during his childhood. It was just the right size, he recalls. Another favourite of Lord Ivar is a milk cart, which once plied, plied the lanes of, uh, of Elverdon on its daily milk round. The late Pam Roper, who lived in the village into very old age, recalled how she would lead the cart around the village during the war. I think she had a ball of a time, says Lord Ivar. Sorda's director and auctioneer, Luke MacDonald, says the interest has been huge, particularly for items including the stuffed lion and the oriental vase. 
an internationally renowned opera singer from Bury St Edmunds has been announced as the patron of the Irving Stage Company. Claire Pressland has become the first patron for the Barton Mills-based Amateur Theatre Company. This news comes as the theatre group prepares to return to the Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds in November with Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, a show she knows well. Claire said... My life and musical life started in Suffolk, and I pride myself on being a good old Suffolk gal. I started singing with the legendary Birgitta Kenyon and performed with the voice squad. I then spent many incredibly inspiring years with Suffolk Young People's Theatre, with my first role with them as Johanna in Sweeney Todd. It was such a moment for me, one which made me realise that I would like to become a singer professionally. I will always be thankful for my learnings from this time, along with the memories of the laughs we kiddos had. Claire's career has taken her to many of the world's largest opera houses, including the Royal Opera House with National English National Opera, Opera de Lyon Theatre, de Champs-Élysées and Paris Lycée U, Barcelona, as well as many others. On August the 8th this year, she also made her BBC Proms debut with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Even with her career so far, Claire said Suffolk has never left her. She said, what has always stayed with me is how supported I felt by the folk of Suffolk. My mother died of cancer when I was 16, uh, just as I started my operatic journey, and I guess I've always felt as if everyone in my home county supported and believed in me. That's really special, you need that to drive you forward. It's an enormous honour to be patron of the Irving Stage Club. I performed with so many Irving members while growing up, and I can't wait to see and work alongside them some of, with some of the future products. Siobhan Kucher, Artistic Director of Irving Stage Company, has known and watched Claire's career since she was 16 and said her appointment was very exciting. She said, it's a wonderful honour to welcome Claire as our patron as we prepare for our own production of Sondheim's masterpiece, the Irving Stage Company's production of Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street is at the Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds from November the 7th until the 11th. Well, a popular pub which has been closed since the start of the year is set to reopen, with its new landlord saying they're raring to go. The Bunbury Arms in Great Barton will welcome back customers for the first time since it shut in January on Thursday, September the 14th from noon. So that's today again. Kevin Swales and his wife Rebecca are at the helm and have overseen a complete refurbishment with new chairs, tables, kitchen equipment and a fresh lick of paint. They'd planned to reopen in August, but this was delayed. A new menu was due to be released on Wednesday, promising uh, classic carveries, which the pub was well known for, and classic dishes with a twist. Mr Swales, who was a pot washer as a teenager at the pub, before enjoying a catering career and running his own construction firm, said... We're excited and raring to go. We just want to reopen now. I know a lot of people who want to come back. The head chef is Andy Knight, who's worked at numerous venues as a freelance chef, including Elverdon Inn. And the sous chef is James Wright, who was previously at the Henny Swan in Sudbury. Mr Swales was interested in the pub back in January, but was busy with his construction firm, 
and the Bunbury Arms was nearly taken over by Leslie and Jim Callanan, who run the Pickerel Inn in Ixworth, but they pulled out. At the age of 15 to 16, Mr Swales used to work at the, Banbury, at the Bunbury Arms when it was managed by Tom Workley as a pot washer, and he helped out in the kitchens. He went on to work in outside catering, front of house, waitering, as a bar manager, for various companies, and ran weddings. Three to four years ago, Mr Swales left the catering industry to start a construction business, which will continue while he runs the pub. Actors Sir David Jacobi and Imogen Stubbs will be returning to Bury St Edmunds this autumn as they help raise funds for the town's theatre. Sir David Jacobi will be appearing at the Theatre Royal on October the 1st. The actor, known for his stage, screen and radio work, will be chatting about his career to Times columnist Libby Purvis. He has visited the theatre in 2019 as part of the venue's 200th anniversary celebrations. Earlier this year, Imogen Stubbs appeared as Rose in the theatre royal production of The Children. The actor will return to Bury all the way from her barge in London, alongside her dog Bear. She will be back on October the 8th to share stories from her life and what she's learnt along the way, again with Libby Purvis. The famous faces in conversation events will both start at 730 Tickets cost from £15 and are available online and from the box office. A village in Suffolk has been voted among the top ten in the country. It says in the county, but I think it means in the country, in a huge public survey. Lavenham came sixth in the rankings, compiled by trusted publication Witch, after it carried out a survey of 9,000 people to compile the results. Holiday makers were asked to rate their experiences of visiting 94 inland towns and villages in the past year. Destinations were rated across seven categories, including scenery, food and drink, peace and quiet, tourist attractions and value for money. Lavenham, known for its Gothic architecture and history as a medieval wool town, scored highly across all categories and received five stars for its attractiveness rating. It fared slightly lower in one category, gaining only two stars out of five for shopping. Which travel editor, Rory Boland, said, From famed tourist towns to lesser-known villages, this year's survey has captured the range of unique destinations the UK has to offer. There are fantastic places to visit on your doorstep, no matter where you live. Bury St Edmunds also came 26th place in the list, due to its high-quality food and drink options, and for its peace and quiet. A coffee entrepreneur has purchased a plot of land in coastal Mexico and is seeking investors to help develop it. Robert Butterworth is managing director at Butterworth & Son, a coffee roaster based on an industrial estate in Morton Hall. At the end of last year, he acquired a plot of land near Puerto Escondito in the Mexican state of Oaxaca. He is currently building a yoga retreat there and hopes to open it in the near future. However, Mr Butterworth is also seeking investors interested in developing their own businesses and projects on the land. Butterworth and Son has an extensive relationship with sellers in Latin America, importing coffee from Guatemala. However, the company's director was, was impressed on a chance trip to Mexico, seeing the potential for a new business there. 
Mr. Butterworth said on my way to Guatemala on an annual coffee-buying trip, I thought, I have to have a look at Mexico. There's been a lot of talk about Mexico recently. I think a lot of that comes from the fact I stayed re relatively open during COVID. Mr. Butterworth has identified a number of potential, potential uses for his land. He said, the demand for more Airbnbs or just holiday accommodation is massive. You can rent a two-bed place for a couple of weeks for around $3,000, and we're talking Mexico. That's pretty good. Mr. Butterworth acknowledges there are many negative stereotypes about the business environment and security situation in Mexico. However, he said he had noted a number of signs of economic growth there, especially in recent years. Illustrating his own confidence in the country, Mr. Butterworth has established a new company, Invest in Tacos, to front his business there. He said, Amazon has already got a presence in Mexico. It's actually getting bigger. They're getting bigger warehouse and you can tell they've tested the pressure there. Even, sorry, they've tested the presence there, even in remote areas. Tesla are also building a factory. Mexico is, I would say, a really big emerging market for many different things. They've got their own mineral resources. They grow a lot of their own food. The infrastructure is beginning to develop and the money is going to provide all the resources needed for a good, strong economy. A father and son from Ukraine recently completed a ride to Brighton in aid of frontline paramedics. Uh, Yevin Spivak set off from Beres Nedmans on August 22nd with his 17-year-old son, M Mikita. Uh, they started over 125 miles to Brighton, reaching their destination on August the 24th. The ride was intended to raise money for hospitalers, a group of volunteer medics working on the ground in Ukraine. The Spivaks are originally from Sumy, but they came to the UK almost a decade ago. Uh, Yevin said, if I go there, to Ukraine, I won't be able to come back. I thought I could contribute to the war effort in some other way. So I decided on this cycle ride. Now we come to the letters. My first one is from Peter Turner of Melton. And he says, in the public and media's push to point the finger of blame for the current rack mess at the present government and local authorities, maybe we should take a step back and consider the basis upon which the decision was taken in the first place, to use a material with a significantly reduced design life over traditional materials. So often when new projects are planned and implemented, scant thought is given to the long-term costs of maintenance and renewal. This was clearly the case with the use of rack in the 1960s and 70s. Let's learn from this so that there's no repeat. Now a letter from G.B. Wood, who lives in Berry St Edmunds. Having been so impressed with the wonderful work carried out on Hardwick Heath this summer, I recently took the trouble to call the council and ask them kindly to pass on my thanks and words of appreciation to the appropriate department, which they were pleased to do. Then, to my astonishment, I was shown a letter of complaint in the Berry Free Press from someone who not only did not appreciate the marvellous artistic work carried out, but thought the long grass in inconvenient for dog walkers, etc. I live next to the heath, and have therefore had a number of opportunities to cross on my way to post a letter, or in the other direction, to the local hospital, 
and there are still whole areas where the grass has been cut short, and I've never seen anyone in difficulty with their dogs. On the contrary, people seem very happy with the current arrangement. Much of the park has been transformed by leaving the different grasses to grow as they should, and the changing nuances of colour throughout the summer season, and according to the light, of time, uh, light and time of day, are a true delight and wonder to behold, a mutating masterpiece of nature, often recalling to mind some of Turner's fine painting. I've spent many years of my life around Hardwick Heath, and I've never seen it looking so beautiful. Furthermore, unable to get away for a holiday this year, my walks around and across the heath have provided for me personally the highlight of the summer. It is now a new and magical place to enjoy at any hour of the day. So well done to the council, and many thanks once again to the clever people responsible for giving us this precious opportunity to gaze and wonder upon a myriad of grass, wildflowers and buzzing bees, inducing a sense of peace and positivity. My next letter is written by Jackie Collins and she comes from Coombs Stowmarket. Recently the media has been highlighting the pollution in our rivers, so I was very disappointed to hear the government is relaxing the planning rules to allow house building in areas where the water and sewage would put a strain on the existing treatment plants. They stress they are investing in improving treatment plants, but don't demand that infrastructure is in place prior to planning approval before given for the houses to be built. Unfortunately, from the past experiences, the houses are built, but the infrastructure promised, e.g. school, doctors, shops and or public transport, never materialises. I worry that this will be the case with these relaxed rules and the treatment plants won't be upgraded and will continue to discharge sewage into our rivers. Now a letter from Janet Connolly, uh, who lives in Ingham. I would like to say how pleased I, I, I like Graham Day, um, writing in the letters of August 25th, was to see the smaller shops of Bury St Edmunds and Lavenham asking to be paid in cash. I'm still smarting from a visit to a store last November when my card was refused and I was told by the assistant not to worry and she put my goods back on the shelves. This was a local shop I've supported continuously for many years. Needless to say, we will never set foot there again. Of course, there are times when a card is a necessity, but yes, cash should still be king and we should all have a choice. My next letter is from Ian Smith of Bury St Edmunds and he says I first heard the news on the radio about the Town Council approving to spend £43,854 on paving improvements around the town, the individual roads being named. The news was also published this in this paper the same week. I can only hope that if weeds eventually start to grow through the joints in this new paving, that the council will do something about them, unlike my estate, the Milden Hall, where the weeds resemble a luxurious, thick, bushy carpet in many places. It's disgusting and shameful that the council has allowed this to happen. I'm guessing that their mitigation might be that their hands are tied as they cannot use prohibited harmful herbicides, sprays to kill off the weeds, but there are alternatives. Let us hope that someone in the council will have their conscience pricked as they read this letter. As a postscript, the weeds in our road were eventually cut a few weeks ago by a ride-on grass cutter machine. 
The operator then came down the road to blow the cutting from the drives and pavement into the gutter in the road. The next step that day should have been for a road sweeper to follow up to sweep and collect the cuttings and take them away, but not to be left in the gutter to eventually germinate those that did not get washed away down the road, dra road drains. Presumably, after a complaint, I saw Max, a Max Pova V50 road sweeper a week or two later make two attempts to sweep the remaining germinated cuttings weeds, also the established weeds previously, from the two sides of the road with limited success. There's a free tip for the council. Must try harder and also apply some logic to actions. A letter from Miles Rowe, uh, who lives in Nowton. Having been rushed to hospital in an emergency, paramedic arrived in 10 minutes, ambulance in 20 minutes. I was amazed at the wonderful treatment I had. I must thank the A&E department for bringing me round, and I shall never forget the faces and the cheer when I opened my eyes. They saved my life with their professionalism, expertise and care. I was then transferred to G9, and again I cannot find praise high enough for the excellent care and support received. I was embarrassed that we pay these people a pittance and receive this dedication. Politicians ought to take serious note. Thank you, NHS, for being there, and I and my family will never forget your amazing staff. God bless you all. At the end of May, I was driving my van when an engine failure hazard warning appeared on my dashboard. I took the van to the garage, they plugged it into the computer and they diagnosed a faulty flap air intake regulator. Exactly, I had never heard of one either. The van is just four years old, produced by a leading French car manufacturer and it's unusual apparently to have a faulty one. The cost for the part and its ancillary paid up front was £500. I was told that this part would be on an 8-12 to week back order. Approaching the magic 12-week mark, I inquired to its whereabouts. I was told that it would arrive when it arrives. The last one they ordered took six months. Good news is that of the three people locally who are awaiting the said part, I am top of the list. In the meantime, as a sole trader, I have a business to run as well as, a tar as charity work to fulfil. Now the question is, would I purchase a vehicle from this well-known French man manufacturer again? My theory is that since customer service departments became all the rage, customer service has actually deteriorated. I'm told that all the dealerships are the same now because parts on the shelf are dead money. From my angle, no parts on the shelf is, pen is potentially no money. Well, I obviously now need someone to blame. Could it be Brexit, globalisation, capitalism or the government? I'm feeling decidedly Victor Meldrew right now. Now from Barry Peters, the editor of the newspaper. Uh, everyone loves the feeling of space. Walk down a country lane with the trees blowing gently in the wind and savour the open fields divine. I remember doing this six or seven years ago, just on the outskirts of Bury St Edmunds at Cattershaw, a quiet little byway leading to the railway line, and then over that into wonderful open countryside and on to Great Barton Church. If you are lucky, you might catch a low-flying aircraft taking off and landing from Rougham Airfield. Some of the above are still there, but you can forget the airfield. A lot of the trees and the sense of space as well. 
Hedgerows have gone as housing has sprung up. I guess this scenario is the same whether you live in Stonemarket, Bury, Thurston or maybe soon Westley. The march of new homes, the loss of some lovely countryside and wildlife to be replaced by expensive homes inhabited by people who would bizarrely love all that open space on their doorsteps. Strange indeed. We know we can't have both. All we can hope is that West Suffolk Council, Mid Suffolk and the other county authorities deliver on promises with every scheme, really take on board the views of parish councils and commit to as many affordable homes as possible. A Needham Market cricketer who batted for more than 50 consecutive hours at Woolpit Cricket Club has now set a Guinness World Record, subject to official verification. Andy Northcote has raised more than £6,000 for mental health charity Suffolk Mind as part of the endeavour on August the 22nd. The attempt was part of a series of challenges undertaken by Mr Northcote, all for the same cause. This included running a mile every day for a hundred days and taking part in the Paris Marathon. Mr Northcote, who faced a total of 9,774 deliveries, said, This challenge has been extremely tiring, but the support I've received through volunteer bowlers, donations and sponsorships has just been overwhelming. Well, on Saturday, uh, Sudbury will come together to remember the man who made it his life's work to uncover all there is to know about the town. Nobody could claim to know more about Sudbury than Barry Wall who was chairman of the Sudbury History Society for more than 30 years. Barry's quest for knowledge began in the days before computers, when trying to unearth the secrets of the past meant pouring through public, uh, pouring through public records, knocking on doors, or even crawling through cellars and attics. Barry loved it. He was a pillar, a foundation block in researching Sudbury's history, said Ashley Cooper, a long-time friend of Barry's and a local historian. Now, there is hardly anything which has been written about Sudbury that does not unwittingly draw from his work. In his lifetime, Barry wrote three books about the history of Sudbury and one on Long Melford, which are now regarded as Bibles of the town, Mr Cooper said. However, Barry strived to make everything he uncovered accessible to the people of Sudbury, where he lived for the majority of his life. He was a most dedicated and assiduous researcher and shared his knowledge freely and abundantly, said Mr Cooper. He gave literally hundreds of talks and guided talks during his life. His knowledge was truly encyclopedic. These talks were scrupulously researched and Barry would even liaise with the Ipswich Museum so that artefacts could be displayed in the town. Indeed, one such talk, which took place in 2002 at St Peter's Church, is thought to have been attended by a staggering 10,000 visitors. The effect of this was to foster a love of local history and other people who would then follow in his footsteps and build on the foundations he established, said Mr Cooper. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsby News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, the Haverhill Echo and the Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. To until then, from David, Chris, Liz and Ruth, it's goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.